Hey, this week we are continuing our series that we're calling This Is Us, and this is basically a study on the theology of the body of Christ. What is the church? What is this thing? Last week we started this series and we got to the main point of what is the body of Christ, kind of worked through my process in discovering this and and how I went through that, and we got to the place where the body of Christ is one body with many parts. Whatever the church is, whatever this thing is, we know that it's one thing. It's made up of many different parts, many different parts. Some of those parts are more complex than other parts, just like the human body. One body, but many different parts. And we looked at, so what is Good Hope Church? Well, Good Hope Church is one of the parts of the body. So even for Cloquet, Good Hope Church is not the church of Cloquet. Good Hope Church is a church, a part of the body in Cloquet, a piece of the puzzle, the spiritual puzzle for Cloquet. And all of the churches are part of and working together to form the body over this area. But then this is only part of the global body of Christ. So there's this one body. We see that very clearly in the scriptures, one body with many parts. So we understand Good Hope Church is a local body, one part of a local church, one part of the body, and then that is full of a bunch of individuals who are part of that local body. We serve inside of the local church. That local church is a part of the body. So one body, many parts. That was the point last week. This week, we're going to talk about the purpose of the body of Christ, the purpose of of the church. If we understand what the church is here for, what the benefit of the church existing is, what the whole point is, then we can walk in our purpose inside of that much more effectively. So this week, this is us part two, the purpose of the body of Christ. If you don't understand the purpose behind the body of Christ or behind the church, the capital C church, the people that are serving God around the world, if you don't understand the purpose behind that, you won't be motivated to play your part or to sacrifice for the cause. Because if you don't see the point, why are you going to join? And why would you make sacrifices if you don't see the point? So we need to understand the purpose of the church. And I want to make an analogy to football. Uh, We were talking about this in youth group and uh, uh, just kind of a fun analogy came up. You know, what if you found yourself in the middle of a football game on the field, you're one of the players, but you didn't really know (laughs) that that was what was going on. You just see yourself there and you're like, oh, this is a nice field, you know, nice, well uh, taken care of grass. You know, I I think I'm going to have a nice day enjoying a little bit of sunshine. And then you get run over by a whole bunch of, you know, seemingly crazy human beings. And you're like, what is going on? If you don't know what's happening, it's going to be very confusing. It's going to be very painful. If you don't know the purpose of the team that you're on and what the goal is and why it even matters, if you're all of a sudden one of the football players, you're not going to play your part. 
you're going to think, this is ridiculous. Why is everybody doing this? And it's going to be very painful because you're going to get run over and you're not going to know why in the world is happening. So it's going to be very bad. And I think it's the same thing with the church. If you don't know the purpose behind the church, behind the body of Christ, then you won't be effective and you're likely going to be hurt. So we need to understand why we're doing this. Why does the church exist? What is the purpose of the church? So that we can understand what the goal is, understand how the team works together to accomplish that goal, and then have the motivation to be part of that team and to sacrifice for the cause. If we understand the purpose, those other things will make sense. If we don't understand the purpose, it's not going to make any sense. We'll be ineffective and likely be injured in the process. So here's the purpose in the short version from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says this. This is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching the masses. So this is something he's not saying just to his small uh, group of disciples. He's saying this to whoever would listen to him. There is a large crowd here that Jesus is speaking to, and he says this to them. He says, you, the plural you, all y'all, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, all y'all again, the plural, are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So here Jesus is saying to the big group, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. What does that mean? Well, salt and light, I believe, have very significant symbolic meanings. If you look into the Old Testament, salt was used to symbolize something that lasted. There, there's an everlasting covenant of salt in the Old Testament. When a town was conquered by an enemy and completely destroyed, when they didn't want it to ever be rebuilt, they would throw salt on it and say, this town is never going to be rebuilt. The destruction of it will last. They threw salt on it. Now, how did it get that symbolism? Well, of course, salt is a preservative. Even King Solomon in all his glory did not have a refrigerator. So he had to figure out how to preserve things, and, and they preserved things uh, with salt. Salt was a preservative. So the meaning, the symbolism behind salt became that there's something important that needs to be preserved. You are the salt of the earth. You are going to preserve something. If you don't preserve it, what good are you? Just worth being trampled underfoot. Then you are the light of the world. So what's light? Light is the thing that shows the truth, brings the truth out. The truths of God here is what I believe this is symbolizing. The truth and the ways of God. So we, the purpose of the church, the body of Christ, is to preserve the truths and the ways of God. So that's my understanding. We are the keepers, the preservers of the truth and the ways of God. That's the purpose of the church, to 
keep and preserve the truths and the ways of God. Now, in the assemblies of God, there is four delineated purposes for the church. Good Hope Church is part of the Assemblies of God, is a fantastic organization, a fellowship of independent churches that we belong to. You know, it's a group that comes together for a purpose. And in our 16 doctrines, kind of the basic, we've got pamphlets in the entry area with our 16 doctrines for the Assemblies of God. One of them is talking about the purpose of the church. What does the church exist for? What are we doing here? And there are four missions, four purposes of the church delineated in our 16 doctrines. And I want to go over those four because they're kind of a a fleshing out of this idea of we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We are the ones who are to keep and preserve the truths and the ways of God. What are those truths and ways of God? Well, they are these things. The first one is to evangelize the world. When the Assemblies of God was formed, it was formed to be the greatest move of evangelism and missions. So evangelism outside of the United States. So evangelism, basically, we're going to define that as missions in the United States. And then evangelism outside of the United States is missions. So the idea was, let's have the greatest move of evangelism and missions the world has ever seen. That was one of their purposes. And a great place to see this is in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. This is how the book of Matthew closes out the last three verses of the book of Matthew. This is the risen Christ talking to his disciples and giving them the great commission, commissioning them, telling them their purpose. And this is what it says. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus commissions them. And remember, at this time, this is after the crucifixion of Christ, but before the day of Pentecost, when you had the 120 that were still holding firm to Jesus, the number of people that Jesus is talking to here is a very small number of people. You know what? probably was more than the 120, but we know in Jerusalem, the 120 were gathered together and they're, they're praying, they're seeking the Lord together. But Jesus says to a very small group of followers in Jerusalem that they are going to go and make disciples of all nations. They're going to go into the whole world and bring faith in Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, the way to salvation, how to live for God here in this world and how to receive everlasting life there to take that message, the good news of Jesus, the gospel to the whole world. Well, that's quite an amazing thing to tell them to do. But now we see almost 2000 years later that the gospel has gone over 
all of the world, as far as all of the continents. And in 10 years, we will have the Bible translated into every known language and every known dialect. In 10 years, by 2030, that will be accomplished. It will be finished by that point. That's just amazing. So they were given the purpose of evangelizing the world, taking the truth of Jesus Christ to the entire globe. And this is part of the purpose of the church that we still have, to evangelize the world, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to every nook and cranny of this world, because every human being that draws breath deserves to know that there is a God in heaven that loves them. There is a God in heaven that has sacrificed for them. There is a God in heaven that has a purpose and a plan for their life. And there is a God in heaven who will bring them beyond this life into everlasting life if they will put their faith and trust in him. Everyone deserves to hear that message. And Jesus told his people to go and bring the gospel to the whole world. And we also carry on that mission to evangelize the world. That is one of the fourfold mission, one of the four purposes of the church that is explained in the 16 doctrines of the assemblies of God. So, That's an important purpose, isn't it? Now, important purpose number two is to worship God. We come together as a church to worship the Lord. Now, it's hard to pick a scripture that says, go, you know, worship God. Uh, It's all over the Bible, all over from beginning to end. God calls worshipers. We are to align ourselves with God in a worship relationship. We're not best buds with God. We are the servants of God and we worship God. Jesus called his disciples, his friends, and hallelujah, that's an amazing thing. But we are worshipers too. We're worshipers of God. We are the ones that bow our knee and honor and worship the Lord. We are called to worship and we're called to worship together. Called to worship God as one body, honoring and worshiping Almighty God. I want to read a bit of a story from the Gospel of John chapter 4. And this is Jesus talking to an individual that he would not normally have been expected to talk to a woman at the well and a Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus is talking to her and they're having a conversation and Jesus is telling her things about her life that make her think, okay, this guy is a prophet. And then Jesus explains things about worship to her. And we're going to pick up the story in John 4, Verse 19, we'll read 19 through 26. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. That's an amazing thing for a Jewish rabbi to say. 
not in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So Jesus declares to this Samaritan woman that he's the Christ. This is an amazingly inclusive moment 2,000 years ago. And he declares the type of worshipers that the Father seeks, those who worship in spirit and in truth. We are to worship in spirit and in truth. We are called to come together and worship Almighty God. That's one of the purposes of the body of Christ, of the church, capital C church around the whole world, local churches, all the parts of the body were called to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And I got to tell you, that is one of the favorite pieces of the Christian life for me, is to spend time in the presence of God in worship. When it truly is happening, when we're truly making that connection and we're setting ourselves in right alignment with God, it is beautiful and wonderful and life-giving. So purpose number one, to evangelize the world. Purpose number two, to worship God. Purpose number three of the Assemblies of God is discipleship, to build up believers, helping people get good at being Christians and working together for the cause of Christ. So discipleship is the easy way to say it, trying to build up believers in the image of Christ, working together to serve the Lord is the longer way to say it. So we are here to be a training ground to help people get good at being Christians, help people get good at following Jesus. Because when we get good at following Jesus, we can get more done. We can accomplish our other purposes more effectively. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 to discuss this one. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll read verses 11 through 16. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we see here the concept of the individual growing as a follower of Jesus, but that an important part of the individual growing and following Jesus is being part of the body so that we can work together. So it isn't just an individual's relationship with God and their personal growth with God. That also 
requires, it just assumes working together with other believers, being part of the body of Christ, working together to be that unit that accomplishes the tasks that God gives us. So we want to do discipleship, that is to build up the believers, help people get good at being Christians and get good at working together. That's a purpose of the church. And then the fourth purpose of the church from the 16 doctrines of the assemblies of God is basically to show the world the goodness of God and the love of God through ministries of love and compassion. By doing acts of kindness in this world, by helping people and thus showing the love of God. I remember some years ago, I got to engage in some ministries that were just wonderful. And one of the dearest ministries in my life was disaster response. I just loved going on trips and helping out. Yeah, I cut my teeth after Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, and that was so wonderful to go in and help people out in that respect. We went in and we served people, didn't matter what their faith background was, anything like that. We just came to serve, came to help. And anytime you go to a disaster area and you see the, the volunteers coming in, you will see hundreds, if not thousands of Christian people coming together to serve God by helping other people that they don't even know. It's a glorious, wonderful thing that I just miss that so much, but it's so important. And we're going to look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 to kind of get a picture of what this means. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there are good works that God prepares in advance. There are things that happen and he's got us set aside to go answer the call. It also makes me think of Ananias when the apostle Paul was knocked off his horse and he had that experience on the road to Damascus. I've heard he got knocked off his horse. It doesn't say in the scriptures he was on a horse, but anyway, he gets hit by this blinding light from heaven and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And they have this conversation and the apostle Paul, who was called Saul at that time, realizes, oh man, I've been barking up the wrong tree here. I thought I was doing the right thing by God, but Jesus is actually the Messiah. He is the Christ. And so his heart is broken and he realizes the error of his ways. And while he's in that state, he's blinded by that light. God goes to Ananias and says, hey, I want you to go pray for Saul, who will become the apostle Paul. I have told him in a dream that a man named Ananias is going to come and pray for him. His sight may be restored and he may receive the Holy Spirit. And God told Paul ahead of time that Ananias was coming. The good work was prepared ahead of time for Ananias. Ananias either had to do it or not. And that's how a lot of these things are. There are good works that God prepares in advance. There are things that he needs people to do. And so he's like, okay, these people are going to do them. Go do them. You know, go help some people out. Show the love of God in this world by helping people out. And it's just an important part of who we are as a church. The body of Christ then is here to evangelize the world, bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the whole world, to everyone. Is here to be a corporate body to worship God, 
Help individuals and us together to worship God in spirit and in truth. The church is here to build up the believers, to help us grow and get good at following Jesus, get good at being Christians so that we can work together for the purposes of God. And then to show the love of God to this world by meeting human needs through ministries of love and compassion. This is the Assemblies of God version of the purpose of the church, and it's something that is reflected in our vision statement. Reach up, rise up, reach out. So reach up, that's worship. You know, rise up, that's discipleship. Reach out, that's evangelism and ministries of love and compassion. It's just a different way of packaging the same concepts. So that's the idea of the purpose. This is what it's all about. This is our corporate purpose. This is what the one body with the many parts does. And Good Hope Church and you as an individual, your life, your purpose is to do your part for the cause. Good Hope Church is to do Good Hope Church's part for the cause. My job is to make sure that Good Hope Church does that. Your job is to see what part you are to play in the greater purpose, the greater cause, and to do your part for the purpose. So this is what we're here for. Evangelize the world, do discipleship, worship God, and show the love of God to the world. That's what we're here to do. And we are to fight the fight to make that happen. Here's my next question. Is this a real purpose or a pretend purpose? Is it just a mirage to make us feel like our lives have meaning when they actually don't? Or is God actually counting on us to do this? That's my question. This is actually something that's debated in theology. I think that's ridiculous. I believe for sure I am 100% on board with that this is a true purpose. That we have a true reason to be. And that is to evangelize the world, to worship God, to build up believers, and to show the love of God to this world. We have a true purpose. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 3. We're going Old Testament. We'll do an Old Testament section of scripture and a New Testament verse. Because I want you to realize, if you don't do your part, the cause of Christ will suffer. It isn't just that if you don't do your part, it'll all work out. If you don't do your part, the cause of Christ will suffer loss. Let's look in the scriptures here. Ezekiel chapter 3, 16 through 21 says this. At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. So this is a message from God to Ezekiel. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and then you do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. Again, when a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Since you did not warn them, they will die for their sin. The righteous things that person did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the righteous person not to sin, and they do not sin, they will surely live because they took warning, and you will have saved yourself. So what is God saying to Ezekiel? He's saying, okay, if someone is doing evil, and I call you to intervene in their life, and you reject that, and you just don't do it, then they're going to die, and I'm going to hold you accountable. 
So if somebody is a good person, they're a righteous person, and they start to wander off, you don't warn them. You're going to be responsible. If you do warn them and they come back, then both of you are happy. Here's what God is saying to Ezekiel. If I tell you to do something, you better do it because it's going to make a real difference. If you warn them, they've got a chance to repent. If you don't warn them, they're going to die in their sin. That's what he's saying to Ezekiel. If a righteous person wanders off, you got to correct them or they're going to wander in to destruction. Bring them back. Go get them. Help them. Because if you don't warn them, they're in real trouble and you'll be held accountable for not warning them is what God says to Ezekiel. I don't think he can get much more straightforward than that. This is not a pretend purpose. It isn't, well, you can warn them and make yourself feel like you're really doing something, but you're really not because whatever is going to happen is going to happen. That's not what the Bible says. If we don't do the work, the work doesn't get done. Now, God will use other people to do different things, but what I'm saying is, is there will be a loss that is suffered. It won't be as good. If you refuse to parent your children, they will have some adults in their life, but they'll suffer loss. Answer the call. Do the things God has called you to do, or it damages the body. Let's have a New Testament example. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Now, this is used a lot of times to encourage people, and I want to encourage you with it. But at the same time, I want you to understand the significance of this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What does in vain mean? We don't use that in normal language very often. I'm surprised they have that in the NIV. But what it means is that your labor in the Lord is not purposeless. It's not meaningless. It actually makes a difference. It's actually significant. It actually changes things. It's not meaningless and purposeless. It is meaningful and purposeful. It makes an actual difference. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So that's to encourage people. Hey, you know, keep volunteering. When you get tired, when you get wore out, when you think things aren't really making a difference, keep at her because they're making a difference. But what's the other side of the stick with this? You know, the other side of the stick, if you're going to pick up a stick, you got to pick up both sides of the stick, right? Not just the one that you have, the part that you grabbed hold of, but the other part of the stick comes up. What's on the other part of the stick? The other part of the stick is your labor in the Lord is not in vain, which means it's not meaningless. So if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. There is loss that is suffered. If your labor is not in vain, then if you don't give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, then the cause of Christ, the purpose of God is not fully met because you haven't done your part. There is loss that is suffered to the body. If the parts aren't working together, it's not going to function like it should. If serving the Lord actually accomplished nothing, I would quit today. I firmly believe that we can make a difference, and it's what the Bible says. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not meaningless and purposeless. It actually makes a difference. So if you don't do it, the difference won't get made. If it's not going to make a difference, I'm quitting today because it wouldn't be worth it. You know what I mean? The time sacrifice, the things I've missed out on, the energy put forth, the financial sacrifice— fighting to forgive and to love your enemies and to be patient and all of these things. If it doesn't make any difference, who cares? I'm quitting today. But it does make a difference. It does matter. Just like 
In the football analogy, let's say you're called to be a running back and the ball is all of a sudden in your hands and some great big huge guys are coming to kill you, you know, to run you over and you dodge one, you dodge another, you get a four yard gain and you get crushed by a 350 pounder and you realize that you got a first down, but you can't breathe now for about a minute and a half because of that guy that landed on you. But if the game is important and you help move the ball forward and you got a first down, you're like, yeah. I'm really going to cheer when I can breathe again. And you're going to be excited about it. When we understand the purpose that we have, we can go forward being effective for the kingdom of God and suffering for the kingdom of God, but realizing that it's worth it because we are evangelizing the world. We are bringing people together to worship God. We are building one another up in discipleship, getting good at following Christ so that we can show the love of God to this world. And if the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus don't do it, it's not going to get done. And if we don't do our individual part, then the body is going to suffer and there will be loss. We must all do our part in the one body for the cause of Christ or that cause will suffer and people will be held accountable for that. Scriptures say I'm going to be held accountable for how I manage Good Hope Church. I better do it well. You'll be held accountable to do what God has called you to do. And in order to be able to do that, just like on a football team, they got to forgive each other. You know, there's tension between players. They got to forgive one another. They got to accept each other. They got to work together, help each other get better. They got to do all those things. We as the body of Christ have to do the same thing because our petty squabbles and our own personal comfort are nothing compared to the purpose to bring the gospel to the world, to bring people into a worship relationship with God and to worship God ourselves, to build each other up and to show the love of God to this world. So let's focus on the positive side of 1 Corinthians 15, 58 as we close in prayer. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You can actually make a difference. You want to change the world? You want to make a difference? Labor in the Lord, not just in your own ideas, not just in your own things, but labor in the Lord because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You can change a life. You can make a difference. You can play your part and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I believe the church has three enemies that we battle against. These three enemies are the devil. We've got spiritual forces of evil. We've got the wandering hearts of men, and we've got time. These are our three enemies. The kingdom of God is being battled against by the devil, by his angels, the demons. There is a war going on there. And then people wander away from God. The hearts of men are fickle. And there is only so much time and this thing's going to be over. So we've got to do our part. We've got to stand right now. This is the fourth quarter. The clock is ticking. Time is short. Let me tell you, those who have been fighting the battle are tired. And if you've been on the sidelines, it's time to get in the game. It's time to do your part. We need more people to step in. So answer the call. Let's pray. Let's receive some encouragement, knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's believe God to work together to evangelize the world, to worship God, to build disciples, and to show the love of God to this world. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us to see each day your purpose for the church. Help us to understand that this one body with many parts is here to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to this world, to show people that there's a God in heaven that loves them, who has forgiveness for them, who has new life for them, a fresh start and everlasting life. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to worship you as you deserve to be a corporate body that honors you and worships you and draws other people in to worship you. Lord, help us to build each other up, to strengthen one another as iron sharpens iron. Lord, help us to build each other up so that we can grow and become who you've called us to be 
so that we can stand strong for your purposes. And Lord, let us show your love to this world. Father, I pray that if our purposes are on other things, if our hearts are on other things, our own desires, our own comforts, proving ourselves to other people, building our own kingdom, Lord, that we would see your kingdom as the most important thing to build. If you're right now thinking, I've had my priorities wrong, I need to refocus my purpose, I need to get my head in the game, then I pray, Lord, that you would meet that person, you would meet them right now and just show them their purpose in your body. Show them the forgiveness that we have for the opportunities that we've missed and the things we've failed to do and the things that we've messed up. There is forgiveness for that, but there is opportunity to labor for you and to have that not be in vain, for that to be fruitful and effective. So Lord, bring us into that place. And Father, I pray for your church, for your body, for the believers around the world, that we would stand strong together for your purposes, willing to fight the good fight, to make the sacrifices and to understand that it's worth it because we see the purpose behind it. Lord, bless us and encourage us in this way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.